What's up, Wildcatters? Have you heard about Collide yet? It's the newest community hub for the next generation of energy professionals. Collide.io is where you need to be if you're looking to connect, learn, and grow in this dynamic industry. And don't miss out on Collide GPT, our cutting edge AI chat designed specifically for the energy sector. It's like having an industry expert right at your fingertips. Join thousands of your peers who are already making the most of this incredible resource. Head over to Collide.io and sign up today. That's Collide.io. The future of energy is here. Don't get left behind. in the house. What is up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, Jeremy. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor. You know, I know we've kind of run in some of the same circles or just sort of getting to know each other. You're a pretty social guy. In fact, I saw you out at Mike Umbro's house almost exactly a year ago uh, when he put together a little mixer out in San Diego, which was fun. We were two of the few out of, way out of towners that made our way there. And then I saw you again last week in Denver. I always see you at NAPE. So you're, you're an industry guy. You've got a lot of passion. Pretty well known. I read the feature that NAPE wrote up about you, but we'll talk business. I just kind of want to get to know who you are, introduce you to the, um, what the funk listeners and understand kind of what got you in this path of being in oil and gas really from the start. Where, where'd you grow up? Um, obviously you went to UT and, and we'll talk all about that, but, um, who is Todd Brooker? Well, thanks for asking again. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm very proud to be a part of the Funk Nation, and uh, hopefully I'll do you proud. But, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very blessed. I got to say that first and foremost. I'm so blessed to be in this oil and gas industry. Uh, it's, it's done really well for me and my family. It's done well for you. And, uh, you know, I love the industry. Um, but me, who am I? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I've got three daughters. Mm. Uh, my last one uh, just went off to school at CSU, not far from you. Yeah. Uh, dropped her off last week. So I'm also Todd Brooker's an empty nester now. So nobody in the house. Plenty of extra time to, to do some things that I put aside for a long time. I, th I think you've got you've got some younger ones, right? Yeah, I've got three. We we had two girls and I was convinced when my wife was pregnant with a third, it was going to be a third daughter, but we got the boy. So yeah, my kids are 13, 11, and five. Not quite where yours are yet. Although I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of them ended up at, at Colorado State with, with how expensive college is now. It's really hard to send them out of state or, or to a private university. So CSU sounds pretty appealing, I'll tell you. Yeah, you're right. It is very expensive. And uh, we're blessed And my daughter's who's playing uh, soccer and got a scholarship. So a lot of that's covered. That's 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 a plus. But uh, I'm excited for her because it, it's a long road to get uh, your kid uh, into college, especially if they're going to play Division one sports. Um, and, and, you know, well, I think I think you 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 played uh, some sports back in the day. Is that right? Yeah, actually, you know, probably about 50 pounds ago, I actually ran track and through the javelin division three at, at Brandeis, which, which was a fun experience. It's sort of like you, you're in high school and you're 
you're winning consistently and you're getting all these awards and I had all these ribbons and medals. And then you get to college and you start competing against people who are really good and, and have the same level of drive and aspirations. And you realize pretty quickly, maybe I should focus on my schoolwork as opposed to uh, trying to make something happen. That's never going to happen, but yeah, love, love sports myself. Let, let's go back. So I think in the eighties you went to UT, but where'd you grow up? Are you from the Austin area? Uh, no, I was born and raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the home really? of the Crimson Tide. And, uh, yep. I spent uh, my first 15 years of life there and grew up in a football family. Uh, my dad played for Bear Bryant on his first national championship team. Wow. Uh, he was a kicker and a, he was a kicker and a tight end, both in college and in pro. Uh, he played for the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, so I grew up around that environment. I mean, in fact, my dad coached at Alabama. He was a, a, a he coached the kickers as I was a kid. So I, I was out on the field quite a bit. Whoa. Cool life growing up with that, especially with Alabama being being you know, pretty good over the years. So I'm, I'm a big Alabama fan, uh, but I, I did move away from Tuscaloosa in 15. My parents divorced and I followed my mom out to Dallas. Mm -hmm. And so I finished high school in Dallas, maybe my sophomore, junior, senior years there. And just started to become a Texan and kind of got in the groove and I fell in love with the University of Texas. Uh you know, I was, it was a typical high school story. I was okay in English, but I was really good in math. And so I, you know, I went down that engineering path and, uh, I just fell in love with the school and I, I was a really good golfer at the time. And I had, a, had some scholarships to smaller schools and I just, I decided kind of like, like you said, I realized I, the chances were, you know, <laughs> not, probably not too good that it was going to be a career in golf. Yeah. Uh, so I chose engineering and, uh, I've got a lot of buddies that I played golf with junior golfers that, that I used to be as good at or better that made it on the tour. But, you know, I don't regret choosing engineering. Uh, UT was just such a good school for me. And, uh, I didn't have any connection to oil and gas at the time. Mm. It wasn't in my, uh, it wasn't in my view. I didn't know much about it. And uh, even though, you know, I lived in Texas, uh, I didn't focus on oil and gas too much until I got down to campus. And, you know, you hear about the salaries and then you hear about the scholarships. <laughs> and, you know, after my you know first semester or two, I just said, OK, let's give it a try. They were begging people to come over and because there, there weren't many. This is 85. And if you know, if you remember oil prices that peaked in 81, they crashed oh, yeah. after that. and the, the industry was in in the tank and the so was the program at University of Texas. So few students were going in. And uh, so, you know, I took a chance on it and, you know, it really worked out for me. I'm, I'm so glad I stuck with it. It was very, very hard. I'm, I'm proud that I got through, did well. Uh, but it was it was so hard, Jeremy, that uh, I mean, there's stuff that I that I learned at one time that I forgot very quickly. It was it was a challenging curriculum, but people dropped out like flies. It was, they were, they dropped out every semester and my class ended up 10% of the size that when we started, it went from 110 to 11 graduates. And mm -hmm. the good thing is by the time 1989 rolled around, 
the markets had improved just a little bit, but there were so few petroleum engineers that we all got multiple job offers. Mm. So great. Uh, it worked out for me. I got lucky. A lot of people didn't and they went back to grad school, but, but for my particular time frame, it worked out pretty dang well. Whoa. Okay. There's, there's a lot to sift through here. I don't even know where I want to start, but I think it has to be with sports since, yeah. since that's where you took it first. So you grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Your dad played for Alabama. He was a coach for Alabama. He played for the Chiefs. You went to UT. So who do you root for? Like, I know Alabama and UT play sometimes. Like, are you an Alabama fan? Did you switch to Texas? Is it sort of both, but not when they're playing each other? How does that work? Yeah, I've, I've had that scenario come up a few times. I was at the national championship game out in California when yeah. they played and my dad was, you know, he was a season ticket holder. So he got tickets to that game. So I sat in the Alabama section, but I wore my uh, Texas gear <laughs> and and they were fine. I mean, Alabama fans are, are good fans. They travel well. They're, they're not, uh, you won't get beat up, you know, walking in, into their stadium or tailgating. Uh, same for Texas. I mean, they're, uh, but uh, so I love both schools. I, I really don't care who wins because I win personally in both cases. Yeah. But, uh, but the reality is just Alabama's had such a long, solid run. And uh, so I, I'm a big fan and, and I, I love what I'm seeing at Texas now. They're, they seem to be improving, but mm -hmm. been that way for a long time. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so, get over the hump. so yeah, I will say growing up in that environment was so cool uh, in, in Tuscaloosa. I, you know, I didn't, didn't, I appreciate it so much more now than I did when I was that young. But, uh, but I knew it was cool. I was, I was meeting, uh, I was meeting all of these football players who went off to be pros and, uh, getting to know their families a little bit and being around them and just seeing Bear Bryant do his work. I mean, he was very old at that point, but, um, but it was still cool. That's, that's awesome. And, and, you know, I, I've seen this, in fact, one of my friends, he's a, he's a somewhat famous actor. I'm not going to say his name, but he grew up in Alabama and went to Florida state and there's not a single part of him that roots for Florida state over Alabama. It's sort of like it was in his blood from being so young and going on Saturdays and bear Bryant and all that stuff that he went to Florida state. He's like, Oh, come on. They're just not as serious down here. Right. They just want to have fun and party. They got other things going on in Tallahassee in Alabama. It's football, man. It's, it's everything, right? It's a way of life. That's, that's really cool. And, and I love the great leaders. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Patriots fan and Bill Belichick, obviously one of the greatest coaches of all time. Were you able to actually pick things up at a young age from seeing Bear Bryant and, and the way that he led that you were able to implement in your career? Absolutely. And to be honest, every, most of the things that came out of my dad's mouth were from Bear Bryant's mouth. Right. I mean, he he was a father to every one of those kids and uh, and raised them right. Uh, they were hard workers, but they were really, really good students. You know, my dad was an academic All-American mm. um, and, you know, and that was some of that was driven by his family life. But also Bear Bryant had high standards and. And that carried over to my childhood. I, you know, I, uh, I got the benefits that, but I got the downside of some of that too. Uh, my dad yeah. was pretty disciplined and I had responsibilities that more so than I, than, than certainly my daughters have uh, <laughs> as far as 
maintaining the lawn. Uh, I, I raked more leaves and pine straw and <laughs> mowed more yards than, than should be legal for someone under the age of 10. Uh, I was, I was on a riding lawnmower at a really young age. Uh, uh, cause a lot of the, we had a, we had a big yard and I could mow a lot of it with a uh, riding lawnmower. And after a while, my dad let me use that, but a lot of it had to be a pushing lawnmower because the slopes were so bad. So I, I'm a little eight, nine, ten year old mowing uh, an acre, and uh, but I will say the rewards were good because uh, and, and my dad was sneaky. I didn't know he was doing this, but I would work really hard to go in, and and so I could go play, and and we could go maybe go play golf, we could go play tennis, we could do something. But as long as we got our chores done, we we could do those kind of things. So. Yeah, it was, it was a good, uh, good thing I learned from him and, and the power of hard work and perseverance pays off in the long run. And, and that, that's true in just about anything. That, this is, this is cool. And it's really relatable for me. So I know we're just getting to know each other a little bit, but you know, I'm a, I'm a new Englander. I grew up in Northern New Hampshire. Um, and it's cold, man. I mean, you're close to the Canadian border. You get crazy winds that come through. You got long, gray winters, but I grew up seeing my parents and we didn't, we didn't have a garage. They, they have a garage now. They were teachers. They really couldn't afford to put one in, but the discipline to get up every day in the freezing cold, scrape off your windshield, warm up the car and get to work on time. And it was the whole community that did that. And, and that really is kind of what instilled my own work ethic early on was you just sort of get up and go, you, you get up and do it. And, and I think like, as I look at the trajectory of my career, that's part of what I love about oil and gas, right? That there are going to be some things that are out of your control. First and foremost, commodity price. We're all sort of a prisoner to it. We all know yeah. there's going to be times when we eat and times when we're kind of just eating the scraps off the bone, but what can we control? We can control our own effort right? We can control our own behavior and our own focus. And that was apparent to me yep. when I got into oil and gas that there's really no sense in complaining because there's going to be good times. There's going to be hard times. What you can do is your best. And that really resonated with me growing up. And, and certainly I can see it did with, with you as well. So some, some synergies there for sure. Um, and, and I think, you know, with all those small states in the Northeast, it's easy to lump them together, kind of the same way that people where I grew up would lump the states in the South together. But there are very significant differences. Um, the people that grew up in Vermont, a little bit more airy, kind of hippies, right? They go and play with their cows. In New yep. Hampshire, it's like a little bit more rugged. You know, that's just sort of the nature of how it is. And, you know, in Maine, they're just really weird. Like, that's, that's sort of what they're what their claim to fame is, but you know, it's, it's, and politically it's, it's very different too. You look at the new England States and it's extremely blue, but New Hampshire basically kind of chooses how it chooses, right? It's not going to be influenced by anything else. And you see, it's one of those States like Iowa where the candidates go because they know that it's a swing state and they know yeah. that it's a place where people really care. So growing up for me, despite the fact that it was the middle of nowhere, small town, the candidate, the presidential candidates would come through like all the time, you know, like that was what they did and they would hold the forums and in town halls and the town squares and, and people really cared. And, and that's something that sort of carried me through yeah. to 
you know, people take a really strong stand on politics. And, and I think one of the things I was able to do growing up there is keep sort of an open mind to it. Um, in, in somewhat of a libertarian type of state, you're sort of raised to hear all the issues. And then once you've established where you stand, you put like yeah. 12 different stakes in the ground, literally. And that was weird for me when I moved out here where it's like, oh my God. So people put in like, I'm voting for this person for president in New Hampshire. Like you had to have a stake for like everything. I'm, this is my comptroller. This is state Senate. This is County commissioner. Right? This is, this is governor. And, and that passion was like really, really fun to watch and, and certainly made the, the political climate interesting um, growing up. Um, but to shift, shift gears a little bit, right? So you, you went to UT in the eighties, you come out and then what, I think you said there were kind of, it was, it was a, a good time to, well, somewhat of a good time to be coming out because you went from 110 petroleum engineering majors to 11. So the opportunities were there. What did it look like for you in the late eighties when you're like, okay, I'm going to get into oil and gas. I'm in Texas. Then what happened? Did you have multiple offers to choose from and had to make a choice? Did you go offshore? Did you work in an office? What was your next step? Yeah, good questions. Uh, I will say what was great about going to UT and maybe in petroleum engineering at any school is I, I had three incredible summer jobs that got my feet wet in oil and gas. Yeah. Worked my first my first year was in Taft, California, working for Sunny and uh-huh. P out in, you know, out in the desert. Uh, second year was in Houghton Lake, Michigan, uh, working in a water flood for Sunny and P. And then my third summer, uh, I had a job going to Midland and I, I reneged on it because I got an offer from a, a firm on Wall Street, uh, First Boston, huh. that was doing energy deals. And I was like, whoa, that's a nice pivot. Let's try that. So sure. I did that and got a taste for the financial side. And I saw how hard those analysts work and, uh, and just got a taste of de- a deal. You know, I hadn't, hadn't been a part of any deals at that point. But I came out of college, had multiple offers and, uh, and uh, very good offers. But the, the one thing I lacked coming out of school was uh, knowledge on drilling. Mm-hmm. Got a lot on production engineering, a lot on reservoir engineering, uh, you know, different things like that, but very little focus on drilling. And the only, only company that would let me go into drilling out of college, uh, which you can understand why they wouldn't want you to you know, go out and drill wells uh, with no experience, uh, it was Chevron. Yeah, Chevron made me an offer to go to New Orleans, and I did. And I had to work my way to drilling. It took a, it took a while to get there. I had to go do workovers offshore. This this is offshore Gulf of Mexico, I should say, shallow shelf, uh, sometimes ten feet of water, sometimes a hundred feet of water mm. uh, on jackup rigs. So I, I spent my early part of the career doing workovers and uh, in Baymar Shand, just offshore, and uh, and these wells were really old. They were they had dual strings, triple strings, uh, quads. And you would spend a lot of time working over these wells because you were fishing all this junk out of the hole. I mean, I learned Mm. how to, how to fish tools out of the hole. I just, so many cool things I learned with Chevron, but I was only there for three and a half, four years in New Orleans. And my current company, Collie Gillespie, uh, the president at the time called and said, Hey, I, I got your name from a professor at university of Texas. Ah, 
and uh, I need a reservoir engineer, but you don't have any reservoir experience. And I'm like, yeah, well, come visit. So I visited and, um, and had a good interview and they were honest with me. He said, Todd, with you, we got the good and the bad and the ugly. You know, the good is everybody likes you here. Uh, the bad is that uh, you don't have any reservoir engineering experience for the most yeah. part. You're a reservoir engineering firm. Like, yeah, okay, what's the ugly? And he goes, well, you own a home in New Orleans, and I just don't see how you're going to be able to sell that. I just bought a small home. Uh, and I'm like, well, don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. And uh, we ended up striking a deal, and I was able to sell the house and uh, moved to tech back to Texas. So, you know, I was only gone for four, three or four years, but managed to get back to Texas and been here 31 years ever since that mm. point in time, uh, which is just hard to believe. At the same company. Same company. Which is incredibly rare nowadays, I think. You know, like the longest I've ever stayed at one company in my full adult careers is four years when I was at Seven Lakes. And that was a startup. Four years there felt like 10 years. But you tell me, tell me a little yeah. bit about 31 years at the same company. First of all, what does Kali Gillespie do? And then talk about like what you did when you first started working there and then ultimately your evolution to becoming president of the company. Well, let's see. The company's been around 62 years. I've been here, you know, I got here 31 years ago. So I've pretty much been here half of the company's existence. And, uh, you know, I came in as a young, uh, engineer that just, they, they threw me to the fire. I, I, it was kind of sink or swim. Uh, I, I was working with some brilliant, brilliant people there. You know, almost everybody was valedictorian of, of their college and petroleum engineering where they came wow. from. They were smart. They were fast. They were, uh, it was intimidating. I mean, because they were so much smarter than me. I, I've, I feel like <laughs> I've always had to work a little bit harder than, yeah. you know, a, a genius and, and, uh, had to read things multiple times. Know, things like that. But uh, I learned a lot of great things from these guys and I got better and I got more dangerous and I got pretty good with clients. And uh, I started to understand the industry better, started to see more basins, started to see more deals and, you know, started to become more than just an engineer. You know, I was able to manage these clients right. better. And so they threw more on me and, you know, I just was able to absorb that better than some. and. Uh, and and it paid off because because it eventually led to where I'm at now as president, um, you know, it, through through just sheer will and, and hanging around for a long time and having other people resign and some people leave. We've, we've had some tremendous uh, partners in the firm that left and started uh, their own companies uh, have done very well that are you know, either very wealthy, very successful, and they moved on and done great things. And uh but I never moved on, <laughs> you know, I, I hung around and, uh, but it's because I, lo I love uh, what we do here at Cauley. I love the vibe. Um, we, we, when I first started, I will say it was a little bit more of a sweatshop environment, uh, at mm -hmm. least for me, cause I was working monster hours. I was trying to become a partner I wanted more and more and more. I was trying to you know, build a family and buy houses and cars and, and all those things. And, and, uh, but I wanted to be a partner and I just, I worked really, really hard to get there. And 
uh, and you know, I guess in, in, in the end it, it paid off in the long run and I, but I'm lucky, I'm blessed. I mean, there's a lot of things that had to happen for, for me to be in this chair these days and to still be here. I mean, you know that, I mean, there's so many things it's, it's not, it's not always just being a genius. I mean, sometimes it's just right place, right time, or just not quitting, you know, but just staying with it. Yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a phrase and I'll, I'll have to think about it for a second, but, um, you know, luck is, is certainly a factor, but you know, luck is kind of where you, you put yourself in that position when you work hard and you choose the right opportunity. And, and I think if you can combine all of those things, yeah, then, then you can really see major success in your career. The, the challenge I had in kind of sticking it out with a single company was just being patient. Like, like you, I had, have and had big goals right? I want to, I want the big house. I want to be able to take my family on vacations. I want to pay for my kids to go to college where, wherever they want. I want to be able to retire at a reasonable age, but I was always sort of tempted by the allure of something else, right? Oh, well, there's an offer to go here. This company, man, these guys have all these stock options and they're going to get so rich. How are you able to balance your desires and not jump at another opportunity and just stay the course? Yeah, good question. I will say this. I, I, I've looked at your LinkedIn profile and you have 31 experiences listed there. I mean, that's got to be a record. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> Probably going to add some uh, more. Mine, man. mine doesn't have that many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why have I, you know, I, I will say I am a pretty conservative engineer. Uh, I, I, I'm not a huge risk taker. Uh, and, but, what happened with the oddity what happened to me here, I think I worked hard enough and did well enough that they took really good care of me. And because of that, I worked even harder and they took better care of me. And then, yeah. and that kept happening. And I started inching up and I was like, dang, I, I couldn't go duplicate this anywhere else uh, and, and do what I do, enjoy what I do and make the money I do, you know, that kind of thing. And mm. uh, so you know, I, I had so many opportunities and, and who knows if they would have worked out uh, again, I've got partners that left for other opportunities, which I could have done, but chose not to. And it could have been fear, you know, to be honest, it could have sure. been uh, just not, not willing to go take no paycheck and run the risk of, you know, not having that payday down the road and, yeah. and raising a family while doing that. You know, there's tons of people that do it and, and they're very successful. Uh, but, you know, I just I stayed the course because, uh, you know, I just felt like good things were around the corner. And and, uh, you know, so far it's worked out pretty well. Are you the longest tenured employee at CGNA at this point? God, no, no. We've got a 47 year, a 39 year currently oh. still here. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, People don't leave. Uh, on average, we, we have very, very low turnover. Uh, but again, there are some, you know, I've had several people that you can just tell that they're a stallion. They need to be set free. You know, they, they've got yeah. other ambitions and they go off and do their thing. And I'm happy for them. And, and you know, some of those become my clients. I help them. They help me. Uh, it, it's all good. Uh, 
you know, a long time ago, I've, I've had a lot of people that have left with over time, over 31 years, there's people that have, have left and, you know, you can have that sit down interview with them and you can make them feel like crap. And like, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you're going to fail and those kind of things. And, uh, you know, I've never done that. I don't want people to feel bad about making a decision because it's, it's their life, it's their career, uh, and wishing them the best, helping them succeed. It, it can only pay, pay off in the long run. Uh, so I, I feel like most of the exits that I've had to sit down with, they've been, they've been pretty good. I had one that was almost identical to the Jerry Maguire, uh, incident where they, they take him to the <laughs> Who's restaurant. Who's coming with me? Who's coming you know, with me? that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, but, but that was a go. And I'm like, Hey, this is fine. Cause he did take me there thinking it could get ugly, but I'm like, no, I'm happy for you. That's great. Go, you go do your thing. Send me business when you get there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see this a lot in my career, especially in sales. Um, salespeople generally don't stay for very long in one place. I mean, you have the outliers and generally that's at bigger companies or companies where, where they've established a foothold and don't have the, the objective or the internal desire to go somewhere else. But, you know, I've had people resign on me and it's hard not to take it personally, right? It's like, well, what do you mean? It's like, you're breaking up with me. You're really going to do this. But, but ultimately I come back to, and this is something I really learned from, from Tim Loser, you know, rest in peace. I, when I resigned from Energy Navigator, I, I went to Seven Lakes, which was an up and coming competitor at the time. And, and he knew that they just sort of hit his radar. And, and he sort of, you know, I mean, I remember him telling me like, oh, man, damn it. Like, I'm, I'm proud of you, but I'm pissed off at you at the same time. I, I need a couple of days to digest this. And, and he actually flew up to Denver and we sat down and talked and he said, look, I can't do anything legally based on the contract that you signed with us. Not that I would try to ruin your life anyway, but I'm just going to ask you one thing. Can you not steal any of our existing clients? You can do business with them, but we sell two products here. You're going to sell like 15 products over there. Can we just man to man kind of have an agreement that for a year, you're not going to steal any of my clients? I said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. You know, and, and six months later, we're sitting down and, and we're laughing and, and uh, having a good time actually out in, in Newport, California at a conference. And, and really think that meant a lot to me because if he was a dick and said, I'm pissed off at you, you're done today. We're not going to let you finish up your stuff, right? Close your computer, give it to me and get out. And it wasn't like that, right? I probably would have gone and tried to steal some of the clients right away. Instead, I was like, you know what? I respect that man, regardless of how I feel about the company as a whole or what this opportunity is or what's going to make the most money. I'm going to do right by him. And that was so important for me as a 32-year-old sales guy, really able to step into a new opportunity and see how he handled that. Because it wasn't the best thing for his business or him being able to achieve his goals. And it probably upset him personally a little bit that I left and went to a competitor but he treated me with so much respect and, and like a man versus just an employee that I then returned the favor and didn't steal any of those clients really in the entire time. 
and we'd go head to head sometimes and they'd win and I'd win. And it was very cordial. We'd give each other fist bumps. One of us coming into the room, the next person coming out of the meeting in competitive business deals. And, and that was important for me to see. And ultimately, yes, like we're humans, we're going to take things personally, but it is really important to remember we're people, right? And everyone's going to have different goals in life and, and supporting those people. And, and it's, it's very simple. You know, I had, a, I had a boss that I didn't get along well with, and it was mostly on me. I think I would have handled this a little bit differently now, but I felt like I wanted his job. I wanted that promotion. He was brought in. He was from outside of industry. You know how we feel about outsiders in this industry, right? And, and his, his job was to be my boss. And in turn, he had to tell me what to do. And I didn't want to hear what he had to say. And, and in my time yeah. there before he left, he wasn't there for very long. He sat me down and he said, look, I just want to leave you with one thing. Like, I know you don't like me. Okay. And that's fine. That's circumstantial. I think in a different universe, maybe we'd be friends. But you know what? When you look back at your time that you spend with somebody in your career, you're going to make a kind of a snap judgment. You're either going to say, I like that guy or I don't. And I want you to think about that as you move forward in this role, because there's people that don't like you here, right? And, and I think that you want to be liked. So, you know, and I, I kind of had to chew on that. My initial response was, well, I don't really care what you think, right? I don't like you anyway. But as I had a chance to sit on it for a few years, I'm like, you know what? Like that guy was right. And he's not going to like me. That was his way of saying that. Right. But the truth be told, like I brought that on myself and it's something that I say to people, especially younger salespeople who are high achievers and sort of lone wolves and out for themselves where it's like, you know, just remember that the, the people you work with, oftentimes it's just a snapshot and you're going to distill down. Did I like them or did I not? And for the most part, I like most of these guys but if it ends poorly, that can overshadow a positive work relationship over the course of a number of years. And, and that's unfortunate, but that's yeah. the reality. You know, it's, an, it's important to keep in mind. Um, so, so let's talk yeah. about Colin Gillespie. You know, the, the, oh, go the, ahead, Tom. Well, go I was going to say, those are, those are great points. And I'll admit, I, I'm, I'm guilty as well, Jeremy. Uh, you know, I, I came into the industry way too cocky. I, you know, I went to University of Texas and petroleum engineering, number one school. And, you know, I graduated high in my class and, you know, and, and then, and then I showed up and I don't know squat, but I got to, you know, you got to pretend I, I, I got to, I got to yeah. fake it till I make it. Right. Yep. I'm around very smart people who've been doing this for a long time. So, you know, I, I ran, I ran afoul of being too cocky and, uh, and, probably not people not liking me as much as you know as it could have been if i if i had acted differently and it's taken it's taken a long time to mellow and and learn and become wise you know like you are and uh, and you're right i just don't burn bridges you know make people feel good uh you know whatever they decide because a lot of those decisions they make are very tough family and life decisions and yeah. you know just be supportive move on. There's other, there's other people out there that can work with you and, and help you. And same, same thing for me goes for clients. You know, I, I lose clients and gain clients all the time. Mm. I, I lose them to my competitors and, and, uh, and I take on some from my competitors and, 
you know, losing a client can just, it can go down many ways. And, uh, you know, best thing is to, you know, they may made a business decision to move on, you know, do what you can next time to do a better job. But often what I find is they leave for greener pastures and they don't find them and they come back. So yeah. don't burn that bridge because they may be back. And I've got dozens of cases where they come back. I got a I got a question to ask, and and I think this this relates back to a conversation I had with with uh, Nate Olastat, my my lead recruiter earlier this week. That you know we're we're recruiting and we're placing salespeople, and there's people that I come across that remind me of where I was at at different points in my career, late twenties, early thirties, when about ten years ago yeah. when I was thirty three, I thought I was the greatest software salesperson in oil and gas, maybe ever. Right. And I was, I was, I knew everything and I was so confident and every call I got off of, you know, dusting off my shoulders, I just killed that call. I thought I was amazing. And now here I am 10 years later and I realize I still don't really know anything. Right. So what did I know back then? You've got about a dozen years on me. Do you notice that this still happens when you look back at points in your career, you thought you knew everything and now you realize, oh man, I still don't even really know that much. (laughs) Or is that going to go away for me? You know, it never goes away, Jeremy. Uh, I mean, I still, even I'm, I'm 56 now, I hate to admit it, but I, I'm, I'm an old old person in this industry now, but I still walk into to every meeting thinking I'm not the smartest person in the room. Yeah, uh, Someone's going to call me out. Uh, you know, I'm a pretender, you know, and uh, I've always, you know, tried to make sure i I get all the information I can before I go in and, and just so I don't, you know, fall flat. But uh, but no, it doesn't go away. I think that's just innate in us to, uh, you know, to worry about those things. Uh, but but you do get wiser and you can you can smell a rat a lot faster. You know, <laughs> no, I, I love it. I want to talk a little bit about the value of, of networking because I see you at events and I've seen you at events and you're one of those guys a little bit like me where you can't walk too far without somebody flagging you down. And that's based on relationships that you've built over time, people that you've worked with done right in business. Um, tell me a little bit about the emphasis and the value that you do place on on networking and continuing to go out there, continuing to hustle and making a name for yourself and establishing your company's brand. Um, how important is that to you? Well, it's it's everything, and I think you would agree. I mean, relationships, networking is is, is everything with someone in sales like you and and I. You know, I, I'm somewhat in sales, uh, but you know, the weird thing about our company and maybe any of my competitors, um, or is the company's run by engineers and it always has been, and, and mm. we've got no business running companies, you know? And, uh, so I didn't come out of college. I didn't have an, I don't have an MBA. I didn't, I didn't study finance. Uh, I, you know, and certainly didn't teach me how to run a company. And so what I've learned is through osmosis and watching my, my elders and, and, what I found, uh, at least for Collie Gillespie, is that we have a history of hiring really good, competent people. Mm. They're smart, and you don't have to you don't have to helicopter them and give them some running room. Uh, give them the you know, teach them the skills they need, but give them some running room and and let them go, and and they'll they'll perform. And so, I, so what I'm trying to say is, is we've been fortunate. It's 
it's a fairly well-oiled machine that uh, runs itself for the most part. I, I mean, I've got a president as my title, but I'm, you know, I I work with every engineer here uh, together, uh, mentor yeah. them, and and I don't do as much engineering as I used to five, six, seven years ago. It, it is more marketing, more networking, more getting out there. Um, but but I, so I've had to pivot as an engineer. I, you know, I had to pivot and uh, and shift over more to the marketing side of the business. And so for me, I mean, the only thing I know to do is to meet people and to get out there and, and go to places where they're at. And so that's why I'll attend some conferences and get out there to as many things as I can. Not at your level and not at the level I should be doing it. Uh, so I, I do need to find uh, another gear or two um, to, you know, push things a little harder because as you know, the industry is in consolidation mode. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, five years ago or three years ago, there were almost 5,000 oil and gas companies. You know, a lot of little ones backed by private equity. And now there's under 2,000. Oh, know, my God. Bankruptcies, consolidation. And every uh, the consolidation just continues. You see it every week. Just another big deal is going down oh, no, in no. the billions. And so that means fewer customers for us that need reserve reports for their financing or for the SEC reporting or whatever it is. And so uh, you got to hustle. I mean, you got to hustle even more these days while we're in a in kind of in a down cycle as far as deal flow. You know, it's it's a quantity of deals that really helps us. It's, it's not the, the value of mm. the value of five deals in a year doesn't help me a whole lot. But if we have 500 deals, then I, I get more of that and, and my business is better. So uh, I'm kind of rambling a little bit there, but uh, but I will say, you know, networking is so important to to me and to the firm. And and I'm trying to get my engineers who, again, shouldn't be running companies. Uh, one of them is going to run this company down the down sure. the road and they need to get out and network, too. And so I try to encourage people to get out from behind your desk, hit the road, uh, do what you can to, to be a part of committees and meetings and uh, you know, whatever town you're in. Yeah. I, I, there's, there's a lot of, of gold there. And, and I think that with a team of engineers, it's, it's a different mindset, right? Their comfort zone may be crushing decline curves and maybe creating reserve reports for the SEC and maybe just working with one or two big clients and that's okay, but it doesn't necessarily increase the business opportunities that you need to get. So I commend you for not only having the engineering chops, which which I certainly don't, um, but also for being out there because it it says a lot about you, and, and I can see that you're you're kind of an authentic leader and that you do care about human connections and and have even said some really kind things to me that uh, I won't forget anytime soon. Um, want to throw something at you that we haven't um, talked about yet, and I like to do this with a lot of my guests. We're gonna play a little game, so I'm gonna say something and you have to tell me the first few things that come to mind, right? So it's a little bit of a rapid fire, put you on the hot seat type of thing. So first one, best city in the United States. Fort Worth, Texas. Ah, I like Fort Worth. That's a good one. That's a good one. And it's bigger, I think, than people realize. That's good. Um, Greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, what level? College or pro? Pro. 
Um, I'm going to go with Brady. <laughs> that paid you to say it, huh? Well, I mean, it's hard to refute. He's got the rings. Yeah. Yeah. How about college? Greatest college quarterback that you've ever seen. Wow. Uh, that's a good one. There's a lot of them. Um, I'll go with um, Doug Flutie. Ooh, there we go. Sticking with the New England guy. What, what a stud. What a stud he, he is and, and was. He's a guy that doesn't age, man. He just yep. straps on his shoes and runs the Boston Marathon because he feels like it. He's that kind of guy. Um, love, love Flutie. Yeah, he, he's, he's a freak. A total freak. Um, Collie Gillespie in 10 years. Well, I, to be honest, uh, I'm hoping uh, one of our, our, our super engineers who, who's a go-getter is running the firm and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, helping guide things on the side. Uh, we'll see. But uh, I, I hope we're still around and relevant. That'll be 72 years in business. So uh, those are a lot of, those are a lot of words there. You said just a couple of words. Sorry. Nah, it's, it's a rabbit hole. You can go down very easily. And then, and finally, and this is maybe more of a conversation question, but the Inflation Reduction Act, what does that mean to your business, um, if, if anything, and the increased kind of emphasis on emissions reduction? Well, there's a lot wrapped up in the, in the IRA, um, but, if, but if you're talking specifically about emissions reduction, uh, I, I, I think it's all good. I mean, reducing yeah. emissions inherently is a good thing. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a revenue source for a lot of clients. Uh, it's a way to be cleaner and greener. Uh, it's better for the environment. Uh, it's better for your bottom line. Uh, and, you know, so, but the main thing I, I, I hope it achieves is it the public sees it and, uh, and recognizes that, you know, we're a part, yeah, burning, burning fossil fuels uh, creates emissions, no question. Of course. Uh, but, w- Compare us, compare the United States to anywhere else in the world that produces and burns hydrocarbons. It's the cleanest molecules on the planet and, uh, and it's getting cleaner. Mm-hmm. We're, we lead in every way uh, in that front. And so uh, I think it's, it's going to be good for business overall. It's just uh, for me, the regulatory stuff that's buried in the IRA and the, uh, the funneling all monies away from hydrocarbons into other renewables uh you know i i really think it's not it's not either or i think it's all all sources of energy are needed yep. to fuel this planet uh and the number of people that are on it now and are coming and um you know the reality is that we we like to travel we want to get on planes and trains yeah. and automobiles and move around yeah. and see the world and and have those opportunities and there's only one fuel that can do that right now and uh, so I think it's going to be a while before we transition completely away from hydrocarbons. And, uh, and so yeah. it's, it's, it's a long, less long of a, answer there. A lot, a lot no, it, it's good. And I, I'm, I'm sure that you've kind of dug into some of the intricacies of it. And we've talked about it a lot on, on this show, but my view of the inflation reduction act kind of as a whole is yeah. <laughs> Alex Epstein's fossil future there. He's, 
he's a funny guy, man. He's a bright guy too. My God, he can really, really uh, spit the bit. Yeah. I view it, and Jake Corley and I have talked about this. It's it's energy addition. It's not energy transition. All of us are on the same page with what we want. We also have a major um, addiction to burning fossil fuels in this country. I think that there's no real question about that. So our behaviors have to fall in line with what our objectives are. But I do think what's kind of cool about what the Inflation Reduction Act and some of these insane regulatory policies have created is now you're giving a new challenge to engineers. And engineers, especially in oil and gas, are really good about figuring out challenges and solving problems. So I'm really eager to see, and I see it locally here in Colorado, where basically you you can't emit, even at a drill site, you can't do it. Um, Major fines, and they want to shut you down. But we're going to see amazing evolution happen because of the incredible engineers that exist in oil and gas and how we can continue to reduce our carbon and, and methane footprint and have already seen it. So I think that oil and gas actually will lead the way in the uh, methane emissions and carbon footprint reduction in this country. Hopefully that can start happening worldwide because methane is not a US only issue. This is everywhere. Um, but I love the idea that we have some of the best engineers in the world taking on and tackling this problem in almost real time, figuring out how to catch leaks sooner and figure out how to reduce those methane emissions to effectively nothing, um, which is just so impressive to me. Um, Todd, this has been really fun, man. I think you've got a, you've got a great thing going. I I admire what you guys have going. Kali Gillespie has been kind of legendary in this space and and under your leadership, you guys will just continue to grow and and attract some of the best uh, reservoir engineers. Where can people find you, um, both personally and then your company? Yeah, well, uh, we have a website, uh, cgaus.com, and uh, it has a lot of information on the firm there. Uh, I'm around at a lot of conferences, normally uh, focus more on, you know, reserves and production, finance, things like that. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. There's a lot of of good articles on my, uh, you know, on my page that, I or some of my associates have written that uh, kind of walk you through reserve reporting, uh, different different uh, standards and, and guidelines that we follow for anybody that because it's not it's not a lot of people understand what we do and, and why we do it. But yeah. bottom line is most oil and gas companies out there need money and that money comes with collateral and uh, reserve report shows what you have. Uh, and uh, they're used for lots of purposes like that. So, um, so anyway, yeah, look me up. Uh, feel free to reach out. And I can't thank you enough, Jeremy. It's so good to uh, be funkified now. And uh, <laughs> thanks for inviting me. Yeah, man. Todd, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll see you at some, uh, some fun event, maybe in California. Maybe it'll be at NAPE or, or Tech Next. But you're, uh, you're doing good work out there. And I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. My pleasure. Have a good day.